I don't even know what I'm doing here. I mean, it's not like you even know who I am. You prayed and believed your whole life. Never done anything wrong. And here you are. You're the nicest person I know. I am the meanest. You have dementia. My life is perfect. Explain that to me. Sometimes the devil allows people to live a life free of trouble. Because he doesn't want them turning to God. Your sin is like a jail cell, except it's all nice and comfy, and there doesn't seem to be any need to leave. And the door is wide open. Till one day, time runs out, and the cell door slams shut, and suddenly, too late. <laughs> Who did you say you were? God's not dead, he's surely alive. He's living on the inside, growing like a lion. God's not dead, he's surely alive. He's living on the inside, growing like a lion. Everybody. This is Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the main event. Open up with that scene from uh, the movie God's Not Dead, as well as that song from the Newsboys, the title song of the, of the movie, I think. And the reason I use that this week is I think that the closer we get to the election, the more stressed out we're all getting, the more uh, ugly it's all getting, the more mean it's all getting. And, and I, think, uh, I think that my wife and I have experienced a little... Uh, a Sunday, a Sunday morning peace by, by taking a, taking, taking some time off from watching the news that angers us and turning our focus to God for, for a few hours. And then, you know, a little bit of time each night to just take it off, take it off our shoulders. And I think that's helping. And I have a special guest for you, for you as soon as I go through the intro. Um, but first, before I get into that, let me introduce myself. My name is Ed Hoffman with Summit Funding. If you're interested in getting involved with any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate and you need financing, call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One more time, day or night, toll free, area code 855-640-2020. If you want to hear about refinancing, if you want to hear about reverse mortgages, if you want to hear about purchasing, if you want to sell your house and buy a new house, if you're over 62 and buy a new house with a reverse mortgage, most people don't know you can do that. Call me toll free, 855-640-2020. If you don't want to talk on the phone, but you do want to get in touch with me, or if you want to talk on the phone, but you just thought of it and you don't have time to talk on the phone, go to edhoffman.net, click on the Summit Funding logo. That'll take you to my lending page and put in as much information as you want me to have and tell us how much information you want back. You'll hear back from either myself or one of my talented teammates, Eric Marquez, Cody Bradbury, Brian Goodman, Lance Keisha, and Vlad Kinzer. And we'll help you find the missing pieces of the your real estate financing puzzle. Uh, if you hear, want to hear some part of this show repeated or if you... Uh, 
Uh, or if you want to share it with someone, you can also get the podcast at edhoffman.net. Click on the podcast page. You'll see this show as well as several past shows. You can also get the podcast on uh, SoundCloud or iTunes where you can subscribe for free, have it automatically download to your, your computer, or your iPhone, or your iWatch, or your iPad, or your mini pad, or your maxi pad, anything else you can listen to podcasts on and have it download for free. And you can, uh, you can uh, listen to it on demand whenever it's convenient for you. Follow me on Twitter at Ed Hoffman, where I tweet about current events all week long. And the Facebook page for the show is facebook.com forward slash the main event at Hoffman. Um, and lastly, if you want to leave any comments on the show, email me at ed at edhoffman.net. A lot of you know my guest this week, senior pastor of Sandals Church, the Sandals Mega Church, uh, Matt Brown, Pastor Matt Brown. He's been preaching on a, a series called Election based on the book of Joshua and has, has a lot of wisdom we can all use right now. Uh, pastor Matt, welcome back to the main event. Yeah, thank you, brother. Good to have you. Uh, super excited. Uh, it was funny when we were talking on the phone, my son says, I hear that guy on the radio. I said, yeah, he's famous. <laughs> only only second to you you've been doing this election election series in uh, church and talking politics talking politics from god's from god's standpoint and uh so i pulled out the last three sermons and we put it put these questions together because i just thought hey we got to share that we got to share this with everybody because you have such a unique perspective and quite frankly um I will tell you because I get caught up in this stuff and the and the and angry from the emotions of it. And uh, going to church on Sunday helps put things things in perspective and at least give me a little bit more a uh, little bit more uh, hope. Yeah, you say the downside of democracy is that voting always divides. Explain that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. Uh, there's never been a unanimous election uh, in our history. Maybe, you know, I have to go back and look at George Washington, but I don't, I'm not sure exactly how he was elected as our first president. So I would need a historian to tell me about that. But the, the largest, uh, the widest margins of election in our nation's history would be uh, Roosevelt in 1936. Uh, I think he, he got 500 and 25 electoral votes, but still in the midst of World War II, you know, Adolf Hitler is emerging as, as a threat. America is in the, the toughest economic uh, challenge in our nation's history. He only got 60% of the vote. And then second to that would be, I believe, Ronald Reagan's uh, 1984 re-election campaign, where I think he got 523. You can correct me. I'm, I don't have notes in front of me. Uh, I think that's, how, that's how I remember it as well. Yeah, he got 523 electoral votes, and I think he was 55% of um, the nation's election. So th those are the two wide widest margins of election, and still 40% and 45% of the country voted against. And so I would think we would consider that in democracy, you know, solid wins. You know, the nation has spoken, and even in that, you know, still 40 and 45% of the people were very unhappy. Uh, regardless of who wins, Biden or Trump, I think we could have a, a situation where neither candidate gets 50 percent of um, the nation's vote. And it's extraordinarily difficult. And so it just divides. Um, you know, a lot of Baptist churches, I grew up Baptist, we would vote and people get upset. That's why there are so many Baptist churches. So you vote, the losing party goes and starts another church down the street. Because and what I what I'd say is they don't actually be believe in voting, uh, just like when you see a liberal, you know, with um the bumper sticker that says resist. What that means is you don't believe in democracy. You just don't. You don't believe in representative form of government and vice versa. When Barack Obama 
was in office, I can't tell you how many conservative pastors I would run into and they would say, he's not my president. And I would say, well, he's the elected president. And so either way, one side's going to lose and it tends to go back and forth. I mean, you know, um, historically speaking, we elect a different party every eight years. There are some except, you know, exceptions within that process, but America tends to go back and forth. And so one, one party or the other is going to be upset. And so uh, no matter what happens on November 3rd, Democrats are going to be upset or Republicans are going to be upset. That's just the way that it goes. And, you know, both sides seem to uh, claim, you know, they believe in democracy. I think conservatives are, are better at licking their wounds than liberals. And I think that that's a more modern thing. Liberals become, seem to be less and less attuned to accept the results of elections and accept the, the, the results of people. And that's really what began my my journey away from liberalism was looking at like, hey, you guys don't actually believe in some of these principles that you're espousing. Um, and that's because I think the Liberal Party has moved further and further left. And, uh, you know, it's why guys like Alan Dershowitz, Tulsi Gabbard find themselves on the outside looking in because traditional liberalism loved America first and then liberal policy second. But a lot of modern liberals, you know, hate America or disgusted with America because they've moved so just incredibly left. So uh, no matter what happens, you know, uh, elections are, are nasty things. And when you look at some of the most, you know, uh, you know, the, the term banana republic, right, you know, governments that are a joke, you, you look at this and they're constantly turning over governments like they're it's they're just constantly voting for somebody new in power. And it just never fixes things because uh, a lot of our nation's problems are deeper than voting. So. Uh, I would agree. And uh, you say voting ignites our deepest fears. Well, yeah, because what what, what do they do? I mean, you know, they, they spend money scaring you to death with the other candidate. So during World War II, uh, one of the reasons that Japan was so slow to surrender is that the imperial uh, government that was in Japan scared their people to death, you know, said that we ate babies, we raped women, like Americans were these like these terrible, awful people. And, um, you know, we, you can't surrender because we're going to eat you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and that and that's what happens is you, you, you build up just this enormous fear over your enemy. And I think it's always a smokescreen, um, you know, and I mean, if I was a, if I was a Democrat, that's exactly what I would do as I would terrify you about Donald Trump, because God forbid you actually look at my record in governing California, in governing Chicago and governing Baltimore and governing these, you know, downtown Seattle. Like, please don't look at what I'm actually doing. So I'm just going to tell you Donald Trump is Hitler. And, you know, th then, then you have to vote for me, because even if I suck at what I'm doing, I'm not as bad as this terrible, evil, awful orange guy. You know what I'm saying? Yep, exactly. Uh, yeah, I think and, that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah. And then, but, you know, and, and on the other side, you know, Joe Biden, you know, isn't Stalin. He isn't, you know, these people either. Um, you know, I, I think that we vilify and evil him. And what I wish we could do is we could say, here's the conservative platform. Here's the liberal platform. Here's what we're going to do. And you decide. But it gets really, really ugly. And, um, you know, if you go back to um, the Lincoln-Douglas debates, do you, have you ever looked at those, Ed? Um, I have, but not recently. Yeah. So I, I believe uh, Frederick Douglass went first because he was the sitting senator and Abraham Lincoln submitted to him. But I think Fred Frederick Douglass was given 60 minutes. Then uh, Abraham Lincoln was given 90 minutes to rebut. And then Frederick Douglass got the final 30 minutes. No moderator. Can you imagine Joe Biden and Donald Trump being being able? I, I think Trump could do it, but I can't imagine Biden talking for 60 minutes straight. Um, but what it really does is it gets the moderator out of the way and allows you to talk. And then there's no interrupting. You know, one person went up to the platform and then they went sit down and 
you know, it was just a much better way. But I, I think that's what we need to do is, you know, what are you going to do? What are your plans? Um, you know, I, I told you I was very dissatisfied with the presidential debate. I was much more happy with the vice presidential debate uh, because I don't think we learned anything in the presidential debate. It's just two old men yelling at each other. Um, yeah. And I think uh, I don't think Biden is is evil or any any of that stuff. I think I just think Biden's is he's out there. He's he's you know, he's he's in dementia. He oh, can't he's, run. He's ready, for, he's ready for jail. So we don't. So he's ready for jail. Jello. Oh, Jello. <laughs> I thought, hey, you know what? There's a lot of stuff that's come out this week. Well, you know, I, I went out to dinner with my parents. My parents are 74 and 73. And, you know, I mean, they're aging and they're, they're funny. And I just thought my mom and dad are both younger than both our candidates for president. I was like, good God. You know, um, you know, they're just funny, you know, so. Um, I don't know. If, but if you look, look at the difference of uh, the brain power of Trump as far as Trump is clearly sharper. There's no, I mean, even if you can't stand him, he's clearly sharper. You may not like his personality, but he's, he's more with it. So, and you look at, you even look at the Democrats, Bernie Sanders, who everybody got out to keep him from being uh, nominated. He was, he was clearly sharp, had all his faculties. And uh, even though he was kind of a whack job and uh, wanted to take us to, to uh, communism, socialism, but, but, that's where the Democrat Party is leading us. And we know if Biden gets elected, he's not going to be the one leading us. Yeah. You say uh, if we want to change our country, we have to attack policies, not people. What's a good example of doing of doing that? Yeah. You know, instead of getting all, you know, hot and bothered about, you know, global warming, what we have to do is we have to look at policy issues. So, like, if you're if you're a liberal, which I don't probably think any of those listen to your show, but if you are welcome, uh, we have to talk about nuclear energy. Um, you know, California, we cannot keep reducing our gas power power plants and shutting down our um, nuclear power plants. We, we, and we can't, we can't continue to, you know, power our country. And you have to talk about the issue and talk about what's really going on, but people get all hot and bothered and all upset. And then we vilify each other. Um, I think liberals and conservatives we want clean air we want clean water you know we don't we don't want trash everywhere um you know this is this is our home and so we, we've got to talk about the issues and how do we move forward together another issue would be healthcare. so you know the liberals say it should all be free well the problem is it's extraordinarily expensive so what i would say is we can talk about the issue i want the best health care for as many people as possible for as little money as possible i believe a capitalist system is the best way to do that. I think the government has a terrible record of caring for people in mass. So if you wanna look at socialized medicine in America, you need to look at the VA and you need to look at the way we care for American Indians. I don't want either of those health cares, okay? Those health cares are- And neither do the, any people in Congress. Yeah, those are terrible, those are terrible processes. Well, I think Congress, you know, because they're the powers that be, they get better health care than what Indians get, American Indians get, and. Uh, what the VA gets. And they're not on affordable care either. Yeah. So we talked about, uh, you know, Donald Trump was accused of letting 200,000 people die during COVID, which is terrible. Every life matters. Well, 300,000 vets died under the Obama administration under socialized medicine. It's absolutely terrible, terrible waiting lines. I have friends in Canada, friends in uh, England, and they hate it. They hate their system, you know, because one option, and if you're a socialist, one option is never the right option. It just isn't. You need multiple options and capitalism is a better system. Now, do I think we need to reduce costs, make it more affordable? Absolutely. Um, am I even willing to give 
you know, healthcare to, to some people for free. But at the end of the day, somebody has to pay for it. And, you know, my kids are, are, are young and, you know, they're really into, you know, um, college debt being wiped out. And I said, we don't wipe out debt. What we do is we transfer it. So that's what you're saying. What you're saying is you who picked your program, you know, you, you borrowed a bunch of money, you acquired a bunch of debt. When they eliminate it, they don't, they don't, it doesn't disappear. They give it to me. And then now I have to pay for your choices. And so, you know, so we have to talk about issues uh, and I'm concerned about college debt. You and I've talked about that. I'm concerned about, you know, um, you know, when you and I were kids, the big problem was young people getting credit cards and getting themselves all into this debt. Well, we realized that was dumb because they would rack up 10, 20, $30,000 of debt on credit cards. So now what we've done is we let them rack up 100, $150, $200,000 of debt for a basket weaving and I hate America degree, right? Mm -hmm. It's a problem and we have to deal with that. Um, so that's what I would say is we have to talk about issues. And, uh, and unfortunately, a lot of people, you know, I don't like Trump's personality, so they don't pay attention to any of his policies. And you need to look down and you need to look at what, what are the policies that the Democrats are, are putting forward? And it's always harder to argue with free. It just is free stuff, free this, free that. And, and I think, you know, you want to talk about the downside of democracy. I don't know that we can survive when we're constantly voting for everyone to have everything for free. It just doesn't work. I mean, you and I know at the end of the day, somebody has to pay for it. And uh, it's hard to be the grown up in the room. But unfortunately, that's what conservatives tend to have to be is, OK, how are you going to pay for that? And you know, that's the problem with our, our softball media is they hate Trump so much. They don't ever ask Biden uh, and Kamala Harris actual questions. And it drives me crazy. I mean, if you're going to run for the president of the United States, you need to be able to handle some real questions. And, uh, you know, I'm all for give Trump everything. Go go after him. But you got to do the same on the other side. Yeah, I think uh, kids want free because free is good. They've been living free under their parents all this time, but they don't realize that that's not sustainable and it's not, they don't understand, they don't understand yet the satisfaction of building your own life. Yeah. And I would even say this, Ed, is I don't think free is good. I think that you and I struggled. The, the hardships that you go through actually build your character. Free doesn't build character. Free actually destroys character. And, um, you know, and we're creates losing, dependency. Yeah, we're losing that. And, um, you know, when you look in the Bible, right, you know, I'm a biblical scholar. When you look at the Bible, you know, kings come into Israel and the first king does great. But when he hands it off to his children, it never goes good because the child didn't earn it. You know what I'm saying? Yep. I know exactly what you're saying. So uh, you have you have critical words for liberals and conservatives. Share those. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, what we need ultimately is for liberals and conservatives to do what's right. But here's what I would say, whether they're Democrat or Republican and, and a lot of them, you know, uh, you, you want to make a difference. You're frustrated with something. You run a great campaign. By the grace of God, you get elected. You go to Washington, D.C. They take you out to steak dinners. You know, they put you on their private yacht. And then before you know it, you know, they're stuffing all this money. Like, for example, you know, Google's a huge problem. Well, we got a lot of Republicans taking money from Google. That's a problem. Uh, and, and what it is, is it's hush money and it's on both sides. And uh, the swamp is real. And we we need to deal with that. Um, I mean, you know, Hunter Biden and his son, that's just that's just a, a perfect example of what happens. And so many people are critical of Donald Trump and how he made his money and who he owes money to. Fine. Man, I say go after him all day long. But I'm more concerned, you know, I'm less concerned with Donald Trump, who was rich and went into office than I am with poor politicians that came into all I mean, office. How is it that, you know, uh, Joe Biden has lived on a senator salary his entire life and yet he's 
incredibly wealthy. That's that's problematic of our system. And so um, we need to hold all politicians accountable and not just um, the team that we root for. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and what I think a lot of people look at politics like sports. You just kind of root for your team and it becomes more about winning than it is governing. And when it becomes about winning, nobody wins, everybody loses. And, and that's the problem. So if you look at Biden before when he was in the Senate, before he uh, became vice president, um, he had the lowest net worth of anybody in, in Congress. So oh, wow. he and then all of a sudden he all of a sudden he's the vice president and so, suddenly suddenly he's rich. Yeah. How's that happen? It's dirty. I mean, politics are dirty, right? It, it just is, um, you know, and Trump is a disruptor. So whether you like him or not, you like his personality or not, um, he does what he he thinks is best or whatever he wants to do. So, uh, you know, I think he gets it right a lot of times. I've told you sometimes I think he gets it wrong, but America hasn't had a leader that just does what they want um, in, in some time. And so um, it's different. Yeah, we're... Uh, um... I think Ronald Reagan was a disruptor. You know, he was an actor, then he ran for governor, then he ran for president, and he wasn't part of the swamp too. And look what he did. Yeah. And, and of course, and everybody hated him when he was in. Yeah. He was the senile old warmonger. Yeah. Well, I, so let me, let me criticize Reagan. So I think Reagan's one of the greatest presidents in American history. When he was California's governor, he did away with our mental health institutions. A big part of our current homeless problem is we don't know what to do with crazy people. Uh, it's why uh, I, I can't stand being involved in any kind of committee talking about homelessness because we can't deal with homelessness until we deal with mental health. And so that's an area where I might lead more towards socialism. I don't think crazy people need to provide for their own health care. You know what I'm saying? Yep. I, 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 th I think I'm willing. I'm willing for you to tax me to pay for them, to get them off the street so they're not defecating on the sidewalk, leaving their needles in front of my kids having sex in the street. It happens all the time. I got a friend of mine who owns a business. You know, he has to put a lock on his dumpster because people have sex in his dumpster. I mean, it's gross, um, you know, and, 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 and we've just kind of accepted that and in the name of, of charity and, and it's just, it's gross. So I think, you know, the Democrats have completely destroyed, you know, that, but Reagan started it by removing mental health. I, need, I think we need socialized medicine for drug addiction and mental health um, because you shouldn't have to, you know, you, you, drug addicts don't usually have money. By the time you lose everything, you know what I'm saying? You don't you, you don't have any means to take care of yourself. And I don't know if your family's had a drug addict in the family, but it, it just becomes an impossible, threatening situation. And that's where I think you need government to be able to step in. And I can't tell you how many times at church, Ed, you know, I'll have a mom who loves their son and he's 25, 26 years old, out of control, dangerous to him, threatens her. And we can't do anything until he hurts the mom, you know? Uh -huh. like we, we just had to wait for him to kill the mom. It's just, it's, it's a disgusting system. Yeah. Look uh, at all these kids that are shooting up schools and, yeah. and I, and I've said it a million times instead of when we had 10% of the people that were uninsured, we didn't need to change the whole medical system. We should just come up with a plan. Hey, well, I'll pay a little bit more taxes to take care of those people that can't get, can't get and need it. And, uh, you know, the people that just don't have the, you know, the, the crazy people and, and the people that we need to, to help. Yeah. And I agree. And I think that's, that's the argument Donald Trump has failed to make. We didn't need to change the whole system. We needed to adjust. And again, as a capitalist, I'm not saying capitalism doesn't have problems. I'm just saying socialism and communism is not the answer. You know what I'm saying? And yep. a lot of times, um, you know, and, and Barack Obama, was great at this right he always created false narrative like we either 
we either sign a peace deal with Iran or we go to war. And it's like, well, there's not two decisions here, Mr. President. There's hundreds of decisions, you know, that we could make hundreds of choices. And so I think the Democrats are very, very um, good at creating false narratives, right? It's either this or this. And, and as Republicans and conservatives, we have to say, okay, there's other options here on the table. You know, we don't, we don't want people to starve. We don't want, you know, uh, women to be, you know, robbed of all decision-making abilities. You know what I'm saying? And, and we've got to learn to pivot and, and create another narrative. And, um, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a free thinker and I'm always like, okay, what's another option? What's something else we could do? And a lot of times politicians lie to us and they say it's either A or B. And say, well, what about C? What about D? What about E? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, just like you said, we, we didn't need health care for all because here's the truth. Did, did American health care need improvement? Yeah, but we have the best health care in the world. Hey, we need to stop right there so we can uh, take a break. Uh, we're going to have five minutes of traffic, weather, commercials, and sports. And then we'll be back again with Pastor Matt Brown of Sandals Church for the second half of his interview. God's not dead. He's surely alive. He's living Welcome back to part two of the main event. My name is Ed Hoffman with Summit Funding. I don't talk a lot about real estate and finance, but I probably should. If you're in the market for it, call me toll free at 855-640-2020. If you have questions or or ideas or want to find out about anything, go to call me at 855-640-2020 or go to edhoffman.net. Click on the Summit Funding logo and do the cyber thing. Now let's get back to my interview with Pastor Matt Brown of Sandals Church. Before the break, we were talking about uh, American innovation and how business works. Elon Musk has a great talk on why small business outperforms big business um, because small business has to innovate, right? They have to innovate. Otherwise, nobody's going to buy their product. Nobody's going to pay attention to them. And so one of our problems, like with Google, Facebook, and Apple, right, is they keep swallowing these, these little companies too quickly, and we need that innovation. So my liberal friends think big business is bad. Okay. They do evil things, but what's the biggest business in the world? It's government. They have no competition. They can put a gun to your head and they can tell you what you're going to pay, right? You and I, we don't get to go shop and, and choose what we're going to buy. The government says you're going to buy this. It's, it's, it's a disgusting system. So, and there's, so, and there's so many levels of government that whatever they do, they have to pay this person and that person. And oh. because they're the government, nobody works very hard. Nobody's really, really, uh, really, uh, motivated to create something because they're just working for the government government. And, uh, you know, if this person can't get it done, the next guy will. And, uh, and so, Hey, we'll go home. We won't finish it, blah, blah, blah. You know, and then I'm on vacation next week and it costs twice as much as it should. And it goes and it takes twice and five times as long. Yeah, I know. I agree. You also have a re- reality check for people who think voting for a specific candidate or part or party is the way to change the world. Yeah. Like, for example, like if you're a young liberal person, you know, the the whole Black Lives Matter movement, you know, so racism became systematically illegal, uh, you know, in the 1960s. You know, JFK, LBJ signed these things into law that said you can no longer discriminate because of race, color, you know, religion and all these things. So the laws changed. and, and, And what black people are saying is we're still experiencing racism. You don't change hearts by laws. You have to address the heart. And that's why I believe 
Jesus is the answer. Jesus challenges the conservative, the liberal, the atheist, the black person, the white person, right? He challenges all of us to love our neighbor as ourselves. He's the one who challenges us, you know, don't, don't hate your enemy. Uh, don't retaliate for people who persecute you, but pray for them and love them. Uh, Jesus is the great changer of hearts. Uh, Jesus shunned politics. He had wanted nothing to do with it. They tried to make him king. He ran from it because that system doesn't change the human heart. Only God can change the human heart. And, um, that, you know, that's ultimately what needs to happen is, uh, and I've met, you know, I've met Republicans that need new hearts. You know what I'm saying? They're not nice people. Um, I, I can't tell you how many times I've literally told, you know, my assistant, I get off the phone with a Republican and I'm like, we're not working with that person. They're just not, they're not the kind of person I want to work with. And then I met Democrats that I'm like, no, nope, I'm not working with that person. Um, but you have to appeal to what's right and you have to stand for what's good. And, um, you know, obviously I, I, I lean right. Um, but sometimes, you know, I think, um, you know, the left is right too, and they're pointing out some inconsistencies. Um, you know, I think a lot of what's happened, the mass incarceration of black people, um, you know, th that's been a problem. We can't lock people up forever. Um, and so we have to deal with that, but you know, um, there, there are other, obviously there are issues where I think the right is right. So. And the other, and the other thing that in that, in that particular conversation that, I don't hear often enough is the word parents, right? Because it's not, it's not about, it's not all about bad cops and it's not all about skin color. It's about how kids are brought up. Kids are a reflection of their parents. And if their parents were crappy, crappy parents, that's why their kids have crappy attitudes and yeah. attitudes. Which, you know, and at, at, I agree, but a lack of lack of two parents is no longer just a black problem. It's just, it's affected the black community more, but the white community, the Hispanic community uh, is right behind them. It's a problem across the board and where you see single parent households, uh, especially when raising men. So there's a great book out there called the, uh, the boy crisis written by a liberal, by the way. And he talks about boys don't do well without a man in the house and not just a man in the house, but they need to be in a community with men who are good men who are pointing them in the right direction. Uh, and young men are devastated when they don't have male role models in the home, around the home, and in the community. And, and even like teachers, it's just so important to, to be able to see a male role model who values education, who wants you to learn and wants you to grow. And, you know, we need that in our communities. The most recent sermon in the series uh, was called, Whose Side Is God On? Mm -hmm. What's the answer? Yeah, God's always on his side. You know, and you and I have talked about this because I know it's something that you've struggled with as a passionate, you know, Republican. You know, you're saying, well, are you saying that God's on the Democrat side? Well, maybe. I don't know what his plans are. You know, I don't know what he's doing. I just don't know. Um, you know, was God surprised by the election of Obama? No. You know, um, you know, we're all waiting on pins and needles for November, November 3rd. I think God already knows. And so God is working his plan and doing his thing. And um, we just have to trust that. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't vote. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't care because God holds us responsible for our participation in the outcome. So just because maybe he knows the outcome, he does. He still holds us responsible. And so, you know, people ask me, well, if God knows everything, why should I, why should I do anything? Because on judgment day, you're not going to be held accountable for God's will. You're going to be held accountable for what you did. You know, how did you vote? What did you do? How did you engage? How did you raise? How did you live? Um, you know, all of humanity is moving for one day and it's called judgment day. Um, and where we stand before God and everything good we did, everything wrong we did, we're held accountable. And as Christians, we believe 
that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And so judgment will not end in eternal death, but in eternal life. But we still have to stand before God. A lot of Christians don't know that. Um, you know, uh, the Bible says judgment begins with the house of God. So it starts with us, right? I mean, if you're going to discipline mm -hmm. kids, you're going to start with your own. And that's how God starts. So we need to be ready for that. So I would just say we got to just trust. And I think part of the reason, like you guys like you that are very, very politically active, highly politically opinionated, I think we need guys like you. But I also think we need guys like me that are saying, hey, God's in control. It's going to be okay. Don't lose your mind. You and I have all kinds of friends that are leaving California. I'm like, you don't think liberals are where you're going? I mean, come on, they're everywhere. I mean, this is a divided country, 45%, 45%. I mean, and they're everywhere. Um, you know, I got friends that moved to Montana. I've been to Montana, man. There's crazy liberals there, man. I mean, I've been there. So you just, you just got to know that we have to trust God, voter conscious, uh, you know, work to make this country a better place. Um, try to find people on the opposite side. You know, I don't know if you saw this, but Diane Feinstein's getting ripped for hugging uh, Senator Lindsey Graham. I'm like, that's what you want. You know, exactly. people, people are, are, are just livid about that. I'm like, so if somebody's angry, the Diane Feinstein hugged Lindsey Graham, I would say you've got the wrong friend. You want people that celebrate that, not that hate that. Because at the end of the day, we're all Americans and we got to work together. Um, and I don't want to work with anybody that doesn't want to work together. I just don't. That, that's, that's not conducive. So God's on his own side. So in that story, the people of Israel are attacking uh, the land of Canaan, and specifically the city of Jericho. And uh, Joshua, I believe, meets Jesus, who in the story is called the commander of the armies of the living God. And Joshua says, whose side are you on? And God says, neither. Because Joshua said, are you on my side or their side? God says, neither. And Joshua falls on his face and worships God. And if you want to have less anxiety, quit putting all your hope and faith in the election. I think that's why everybody's anxious. If you put your hope in Jesus, the peace that surpasses all understanding will be with you. And, um, um, you know, one of my, one of my verses um, in my mid-30s, I struggle with anxiety really bad. And so I memorized Colossians 3.15. And it says, let the peace that comes from Christ control your thoughts and be grateful. And um, when I submit myself to God's control, then he blesses me with his peace. When I think the world is in my control, I'm a disaster. So. Yeah, I like when you when you said doesn't matter what side God's on. He wants to know what side you're on. And it's not. And you and and the important part is you need to be on God's side first. Before yeah, you, before yeah, you no, worry about, I agree. That was good. So you just remembered my sermon better than me. Um, but yeah, cause right. We, we think there's Democrat and Republican. No, there's God's side and your side and you need to get on God's side. And that's what Joshua does. So yep. I'll tell you for me, when my neighbors invited me to go back to church and Don and I had been uh, going to church till the kids became uh, teenagers and we just stopped. And we were watching, you know, Robert Schuler and then Robert Schuler Jr. And then, you know, Joel Osteen. And, and, you know, that was, and I have, I have pastors around the area that, that invite me to go to church and you know, I've done, you know, they're, I'm financing their houses and they keep inviting me. And I said, ah, well, maybe this weekend we'll come. And uh, when we finally got the two of our, two of our neighbors going to Sandals and kept inviting us. And at some point it just, you know, I, I could tell God's calling me back. And uh, since we since we went, God's obviously talking through you because it it uh, brought a lot of peace to Don and I, and we're really super happy that that we uh, crossed paths and became members of uh, Sandals Church. 
Okay, one more question. Uh, I heard you say that uh, Apostle, Apostle Paul's message to the Christian political activists said that you may be winning votes, but you're losing souls. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, I think there's a big problem of the hyper-politicization on the church. And so, um, you know, I think liberal churches, a lot of them exist off of uh, government programs and government checks. Uh, a lot of Catholic churches, they get a lot of money from charity, you know, um, uh, a lot of money from government to, to feed, to clothe, to help, to whatever. And, and at San Luis Church, we've tried really hard to avoid the pitfalls of being involved with liberal government in that way. And it's not that we don't want to feed the homeless, but San Luis just writes the check. We don't participate with government. We help out organizations that we think are doing a good job because we want to be able to be generous. We don't want to be controlled. So that's the problem with liberal churches. Conservative churches, you know, they turn it into a Trump rally. And I don't want to do that either because my faith isn't in Donald Trump. Um, you know, my faith is in Jesus Christ. And so I want to make sure that, you know, the gospel is offensive, Ed. It says you're a sinner. It says that God is going to judge your sin. It says that the wages of sin is death on the cross, right? The wages of sin is eternal, is eternal death. I mean, that's, that's offensive and people already don't like that. So if I know I'm going to be dealing with an offensive topic, I don't want to get into politics, uh, because I want to save your soul. I don't want to get your vote and I don't want to push your vote in a particular way. Uh, and I try to be really, really careful with that. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, you, you're probably one of the most conservative people in our church, but we have, you know, some people completely on the other side and I got to preach to both, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And I love both. Uh, you know, I may agree with you on more issues than I do with them, but I love them both. And I want to push them towards Jesus. Um, because when we put all of our faith, uh, you know, when I was a kid, Ed, you're going to laugh, but I was in college. I was super liberal. And I, I worked on the Bill Clinton uh, 1992 campaign. So please forgive me. Um, but, you know, I got to tell you, remember when he had that whole thing with Monica Lewinsky? Uh-huh. How he could I forget? Out, came out and he said, I did not have sex with that woman. I, you know, I believed him. Yeah, well, kids are gullible. You know, well, do you know how devastating that was for me when I found out he totally lied? Uh, yeah. And that's when I realized you, you can't put your faith and trust. Uh, Billy Graham told a, a similar story with Richard Nixon, a conservative. And Billy Graham was very close with Richard Nixon. And he said after that, he just learned that he, he had to be a spiritual voice, but he couldn't he couldn't be a political friend. You know, and mm -hmm. uh, and so I think we have to be very, very careful. Politicians are politicians. Ed. That's what they yep. are. And unfortunately, there's a lot of lying that goes on. Um, you know, and so we have to be really, really careful in that. God is always on the side of the truth. And, and unfortunately, it's really, really hard to figure out what the truth is sometimes because there's so many lies. And, um, you know, Google's a huge problem, like trying to trying to get down to the facts, try, trying to actually Google the transcripts of what somebody said. Just try to do that. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. All you're going to find is everybody else telling you what was said and you can't read the original source of what was said. That's a problem. I think that's a violation of the first amendment. I think that Google violates the first amendment like every day, all day. Um, and that's As does Twitter and Facebook. Yeah. So um, that, that's just the thing is you, you can't put your hope and trust. Um, I mean, a lot of black people, man, were teary eyed when Barack Obama got elected. He was devastating to black communities and black families um, because his policies I think negatively impacted them. You know, a lot of my black friends don't like Donald Trump. I think his policies have benefited them. So you got to be careful who you get excited about. You know what I'm saying? Um, you got to hope, hope for the best. So, 
Yeah, I think uh, Trump is the closest thing to transparency. And although he's offensive in the way he delivers his message sometimes, I think uh, nobody's perfect. I, you know, it's, uh, you, you, mentioned, you mentioned before in another conversation that uh, I don't know if, Don, if Donald Trump's a Christian. I have my doubts, but he supports things that are important to Christians. And that's, that's, why, that's why I think that's why I support him. Yeah, well, I think he I think he gets a lot of criticism for his personality, which he deserves. What he doesn't get credit for is his policies. Um, you know, Amy Coleman Barrett, I think, will go down in history as one of the greatest Supreme Court justices we've had. She's clearly brilliant. She's conservative. You know, I am passionately pro-life. Um, you know, and, and even when I was a liberal, abortion bothered me. It bothered me. You know, my mother almost aborted me. And so it's just something that I was very sensitive to. And I also believe the 14th Amendment protects the rights of the unborn. I think that liberals have not read the 14th Amendment, which gave slaves who had no rights. Uh, it protects life and liberty um, for those who have no voice. That's what the 14th Amendment does. I believe that the 14th Amendment of the Constitution makes abortion unconstitutional. That's my, that's my, that's my opinion. Um, you know, I'm not trying to tell women what to do with their bodies. I don't want government, you know, in, in the room with your doctor. You know, all of the, the scare tactics. That's not oh. what I just saying, I don't think it's constitutional. Um, and as a religious person, I think that every life is precious and valuable. Um, and as a Christian, I have a pro-human perspective. A lot of my liberal and all of my leftist friends are pro-environmentalist perspective. They think the best thing for the world is that human beings aren't here. You know, they're never going to say that. I disagree with that. Uh, the earth was given to us by God. That's my opinion. Um, we are unique in the animal creation because we are made in the image of God. Um, that, that's my opinion. I don't apologize for that. It's what I believe. Matt, it's uh, great to have you on the show. I hope we have you back, back again, uh, as regularly as, as, uh, your time uh, permits and, uh, appreciate all your, all your insight. And, uh, for me personally, I appear I appreciate your spiritual leadership in mine and my wife's lives. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Love you. So we got a few more minutes to, to kind of skim the surface of what we saw this week. Uh, in the Senate confirmation hearings that took place for U.S. Court of Appeals Judge Amy Coney Barrett, President Trump's nominee for the Supreme Court. And guess what? It looks like she's going to be confirmed because she blew the Democrats out of the water. But first, they had to get past Kamala Harris's technical difficulties. Senator Harris. Can you hear me? Yes, hello. Hello? We hear you. Uh, this hearing has brought together um, more than well, 50 just, people just, to uh, sit inside a room for hours. Uh, a closed door room. Yes. Uh, just wait just one second. We don't see you. Of course. You don't see me. There we go. All right. Uh, now, can you see me now? Yeah, I can see you now. hear you loud and clear. The floor is yours. Mr. Chairman, can you see me and hear me? I see you. I hear you. The floor is yours. Okay. I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Yeah, I wish we couldn't see her and I wish we couldn't hear her either because she was disgusting, disgusting there. But let's let's jump through because we're limited on what time I have left to get through the basics on this. After sitting through dozens of Democrat stories about health care, the first day was all about uh, every time a Democrat spoke, they talked about some constituent that they didn't even know. They've never met about their how they're going to how if uh, the Affordable Care Act goes away, it's going to destroy their lives and how many lives there are out there. Uh, Amy Coney Barrett set Dick Durbin straight on the Democrats 
lie that she's out to get rid of the Affordable Care Act. Thank you for that question, Senator Durbin, because it gives me an opportunity to make my position clear. I think that your concern is that because I critiqued the statutory reasoning that I'm hostile to the ACA and that because I'm hostile to the ACA that I would decide a case a particular way. And I assure you that I am not. I'm not hostile to the ACA. I'm not hostile to any statute that you pass. That's not the case. I apply the law. I follow the law. You make the policy. Yeah, she made it. She made it abundantly clear throughout all the questions for uh, four days. Four days that um, she understands as a as a appellate court judge and as a Supreme Court justice that her job is to interpret the laws and say, hey, this person thinks thinks the law says this, and this other person's arguing that the law says that, and it's their job to interpret the laws. And what she did on uh, on the Affordable Care Act when uh, Justice Roberts said, well, you know, essentially it's a tax. It's not it's not forcing people to buy something in particular. It's it's a tax. And now the and she said, hey, you know what? She made comments about Justice Roberts' reasoning on that. She said, I'm not hostile to the Affordable Care Act. I was making comments about his reasoning about that. And the case coming up is about um, since we since President Trump uh, uh, eliminated the individual mandate, the tax part, now is the rest of the Affordable Care Care Act even constitutional now without that and uh, without that being a tax. Now there's no tax. Now it's now it's just the rest of the other 8,500 pages on there that nobody ever read. You had to remember, you have to, you have to uh, pass it before you can find out what's in it. Uh, I saw a thing on, uh, and that's how Biden today is saying, Hey, you know what? You can't know if I want to pack the Supreme court until you elect me, then I'll tell you. And I, I saw a thing on, uh, on Facebook uh, yesterday that uh, where the, where the guy's proposing to his, to his, uh, to his, future wife and says, well, I can't tell you what my position is on, on adultery. Uh, you have to wait till we get married and then I'll tell you. So you know how ridiculous all this is. Uh, it's all, it's also, it was also pretty hard to call this nominee a racist because two of her kids are black that she adopted, that her and her husband adopted from Haiti. So there goes the oldest trick in the Democrats playbook. Have you seen the George Floyd video? I have. What impact did it have on you? Um, Senator, as you might imagine, given that I have two black children, that was very, very personal for my family. My 17-year-old daughter, Vivian, who's adopted from Haiti, um, all of this was erupting. It was very difficult for her. Um, We wept together. Has been an ongoing conversation. It's a difficult one for us, like it is for Americans all over the country. Yeah, I have to remind the remind the Senate that we all, we y'all, all all colored people thought it, we were all outraged at what happened. It had nothing to do with what color George Floyd was, but uh, we were all we were all disturbed by that. So with Brett Kavanaugh two years ago, everyone was competing to be the biggest showboater, and it was hard to pick a winner. This time, there's no question who won the award. Angry Amy Klobuchar, who got schooled by Amy Coney Barrett several times throughout the hearings. I think this hearing is a sham. I think it shows real messed up priorities from the Republican Party. You wrote that historically, uh, felons should be disqualified from exercising certain rights, like the right to vote and to serve on juries. It's actually this next line where you said, these rights 
belonged only to virtuous citizens. Um, what does that mean? Senator, I would need to look at the article to clarify, but as I'm sitting here, I don't think I said felons should lose voting rights. We're living at a time where a lot of people are having their voting rights taken away from them. So what's virtuous? Okay, well, Senator, I want to be clear that that is not in the opinion designed to denigrate the right to vote, which is fundamental. The distinction between civic and individual rights is one that's present in the court's decisions, and it has to do with a kind of a jurisprudential view of what rights are. And the virtuous citizenry idea is a historical and jurisprudential one. It certainly does not mean that I think that anybody gets a measure of virtue and whether they're good or not and whether they're allowed to vote. That's not okay. what I said. Okay. In my, in my eyes, hey, there's a lot of people getting their voting rights taken, uh, taken away from. There's a lot of people that are committing crimes. Felons are people who commit big crimes, not traffic tickets. I don't think, I don't think someone who's capable of armed robbery or murder or rape should, ha should, should have the right to, to have their voice heard when it comes time to vote. Sorry, but that's how I feel. And let's, uh, let's end this thing. Let's end the show on a humorous note. We all thought it would be impossible for Democrats to accuse this nominee of the same things they accused Brett Kavanaugh of, but Maisie Hirono of Hawaii actually tried. Since you became a legal adult, have you ever made unwanted requests for sexual favors or committed any verbal or physical harassment or assault of a sexual nature? No, Senator Hirono. Have you ever faced discipline or entered into a settlement related to this kind of conduct? No, Senator. Yeah, she's a whack job. She's a disgrace to the entire Senate. And uh, obviously, uh, she's over there in Hawaii smoking a little bit too much Maui Waui. Hey, folks, I'm all out of time for this episode of the main event. We got two more weeks till the, two more weeks from Tuesday, so two more shows till the election. So uh, my name is Ed Hoffman. Thanks for listening every week. And I'll be back again with you next week. The opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Summit Funding Incorporated. Ed Hoffman, NMLS ID number 